Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined this week by a special guest, Brett Stein of BearcatJournal.com joins the podcast. Brett, how are you? I can't complain. I'm always happy to, to stop by. Usually that means there's some good recruiting news to talk about, which there is. So I'm happy to be joining you this evening. Indeed. Indeed, Brett. We're really glad to have you this week. I'm not even going to make you go through the, through the charade and performance of, of imitating Hummer's introduction. No reason to do it this week. Um, I shouldn't say that. There's always a reason to do it. I will, I will sub in this week. It's a great day to be a Bearcat sports fan this week. Brett, we are having you on because, uh, look, there's a lot of things to talk about on the basketball front. Feels like they kind of deserve their own episode this week. And you're a fan favorite when it comes to uh, having people on the podcast, having a special guest. The folks like hearing what you have to say because you usually know things. You're like the crystal ball reader. You have you have your sources. You have your information. So to start things off, I think it's a good idea that we recap Wes Miller's first three recruits of the 2022 class. We've got Sage Tolentino. We've got Josh Reed and we've got Daniel Skillings. I want to go last to first in this case. And and let's talk about the most recent commitment for Wes Miller and his staff. Let's talk a little bit about Josh Reed. How are you feeling about Josh Reed as a, as a new member of the recruiting class? And what can you tell us a little bit about his game? You know, just, just personally, I love left-handed shooters who can really shoot from three and Reed can do that. He plays from pace Academy. It's one of the best programs in all of Georgia, all the Southeast they have a five-star freshman at Florida State right now in Matthew Cleveland. And Reed was the second leading scorer on their team last year. He averaged about 17 and a half a game. Rebounds, steals, assists, very high IQ player. He's looking to major in geology or environmental science. So he's high IQ on the court and off the court. He could score from all three levels, very crafty. He's not a high-level explosive athlete, but he's very intelligent, can get himself the spots on the floor. Will to do whatever it takes to help his team win. I think he's the kind of player you need because with these three recruits, all of them can shoot. Tolentino, Skillings, Reed can all stretch the floor. Reed's the kind of player who can manufacture points, whether it's from from three. He gets to the foul line at a high rate, converts at a high rate. You know, he always you know always makes a smart play. So he's not a guy that's going to kill you on either end very efficient player. And I think he's a good land because you can see they were kind of behind a couple of schools going to his official visit. You see at the last visit, he commits less than, you know, several days later, you see the power of, of Morgan and Dollar and West Miller and their, their connection to Georgia, getting the commitment. And I think he'll be a really high level player for Cincinnati once he gets into the program and he adds a lot of scoring uh, and, and a bit of playmaking on the wing. Yeah, we had Keith Agrin from the Georgia recruiting circuit who covers Georgia high school and prep hoops down there come on and, and echo some of the same things you just said, which is he's coming from a really strong uh, school in Pace Academy. It, it's, it's historically loaded with talent. They produce a lot of good players. And, and he referenced some of the same qualities you did, which is his ability, his high IQ, his ability to score, not necessarily the most overwhelming athlete, but someone who has good size big, strong body already. And, and just in the few clips I've already watched with him, you can really see him finish through traffic. Well, 
Um, he's going to pair nicely, especially with someone like Daniel Skillings out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, who is also coming from a really high level uh, high school hoop scene and is, uh, but is also six, seven, you know, long wingspan. West Miller's filling in this class and kind of getting the mold of a player that that's a little more modern in their, in their position list type basketball can guard multiple positions um, seemingly can, can score and be a threat offensively as well. Have you had much of a chance to look into Daniel Skilling's game as well? Well, just to correct you there, Daniel Skilling's is from South Jersey. So don't say he's from, he's not from Philadelphia. He's from, he's from New Jersey like me. So he's already awesome. Out all of, right. All right, so, out of Philadelphia. Right. He's well, playing, he's playing in, in high school because there's Roman such Catholic, a, yes. because of the, the weak hoop scene in New Jersey, he couldn't see his potential really realized there. So like many others, yourself included, they had to leave Jersey in order to reach their full potential. Is that right? Erroneous, erroneous on all fronts. Um, no, North Jersey has 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 a lot of the prep powerhouse programs. You'll see um, Patrick School, Saint Saint Anthony's before it closed down. You know Saint Benedict schools like that. So with Skillings, he just needed a change of scenery. And Roman Catholic's one of the best, uh, you know, programs in the Philadelphia area. There, better competition. And I think with Skillings, with his wingspan and his upside, in addition to what he already did this summer. I mean, you're talking about Reed and Skillings. These guys had offers from major programs, Butler, South Carolina, Boston College. Those all offered uh, Northwestern, all offered Reed. Skillings had NC State, Virginia Tech, Miami, Pittsburgh, a bunch of, you know, 25, 27, 28 offers for Skillings. And Cincinnati lands his commitments. So really nice to see Wes and his staff, all the work they've put in. And I know all the work they've put in to try and get this recruiting going. And they're off to a great start. I think they're probably going to take only three high school players as of now in the 22 class. And Skillings presents you, like you said, these guys can guard multiple positions on the wing. Skillings has tremendous upside. You get him in a college weight program. Um, I, I think he's got a you know all conference level upside once he adjusts to the college game. And with this plus over seven foot wingspan, like how how do you you know talk about getting the passing lanes? Like how do you how do you get how do you get a pass around the, uh, some of these guys? So I think he'll fit really well with what they want to do. His ability to to score you know inside outside and uh, the athleticism he has, and he's just scratching the surface of what he's capable of. I would say that, you know, historically we've had some really good wings, some good guards, but generally speaking, a lot of them have been a bit, I'll just put it in air quotes, undersized. You know, they're not guys who are, are small necessarily, but like Jacob Evans, not undersized, elite wingspan, but only I think 6'5". Uh, Sean Kilpatrick, probably in the range of like 6'4". So most of the guards I think about and in, in scoring wings, I think about in Bearcats recent history are that 6'3 to 6'5 type range. Both of these guys come in as bigger wings, uh, which I think can be a bit more impactful on the defensive end, which I imagine is maybe what West Met, West Miller is gravitating to first and foremost. Yeah, I mean, Skellings and Reed are both in that 6-6 six, six range with good wingspans. And I think what you're seeing is West comes in known as a defensive-minded coach. But you have to remember, UNC Greensboro was, you know, a lower level of basketball in terms of the type of player they can attract. So he had to take undersized guards and, and really scrap together defensively to be able to beat better, better teams. And I think he's realizing at the, at, at this level, and then especially when they go into the big 12, he's going to need guys more capable of scoring. It, it's hard to win low scoring games consistently when you're going, when you're going to be going against the likes of Kansas, Kansas state, Oklahoma state, Baylor, TCU, Texas tech, Iowa state. Those are really good programs with really good home court advantages. No more of these, 
noon, 11 a.m. tips at the Sun Dome in Tampa with a, a thousand fans with South Florida. No offense to the South Florida fans that might listen, but it's a different animal. And I think he and his staff realized that and really wanted to get players that have a lot of offensive upside and maybe just need and, and feel like they can fill on the other side if they need help defensively getting them up to speed because they still emphasize defense quite a bit in the program. Don't let me forget to come back to the new Big 12. Don't let me forget to come back to that so we can we can uh, dream on about how beautiful that basketball is going to be and being in a legitimate top two, top three basketball conference again. I want to I want to live that dream, that reality with you rather. Um, but before I forget, let's make sure we're touching on the first recruit of West Miller's 22 class, Sage Tolentino out of Hamilton, Ohio. And I, sh I just mean that in the sense that he's playing in Hamilton, Ohio. I know that's not where he hails from, uh, but Sage is a bit of a different case. Someone who originally committed to Bruce Pearl's Auburn program, then decommitted and then quickly jumped on the West Miller bandwagon. I think back in July, very early after West Miller came aboard. So let's kind of wind things down here with that recruiting class by, by talking a bit about Sage Tolentino. Yeah, Tolentino is very interesting. Um, you know, he's originally from Hawaii and he didn't play against a great level of competition. And then his family moved to Ohio, uh, you know, kind of which coincided with the pandemic. And, you know, Hamilton's not known for traditionally producing seven skilled seven footers like he is. And he was making his rounds on the circuits and playing some team camps and he got hurt before he got to play AAU this summer. So I think he would have gotten more offers and more attention. So the fact that he was so close, the staff did a really good job getting him on campus and selling him on the vision of the program. And I think when you look at the roster, who are the two primary centers this coming season? Dr. Abdul Addo and future Dr. <laughs> Uh, Hayden Koval, two guys that have been in college a long time, but they only have one year left each. There's a lot of minutes there. And I think from that standpoint, his ability to stretch the floor, he can really shoot very highly skilled, needs to add strength, needs to get more experience. Big guys can take longer to develop, but if you have a seven footer that wants to come with that kind of upside, you don't turn that kind of player down. And I think when you look at what Wes wants to do, having a, a center who can step out and shoot and can pass the ball and be a target down in the post, he fills a lot of that criteria um, and how he, what kind of strides he makes in, in adding some strength uh, once he gets to college and also on the defensive end, you know, is he going to be able to move his feet well enough, things like that to adjust to. He's the kind of player you want to be able to build around a bit in the post that I think he has the skill set of a more of a modern college center and that he can step out and shoot threes. Tolentino is an interesting case. I, I always think about it with these seven foot centers, especially the ones who aren't like the top 20, um, you know, no brainer recruits, like a, like a wise man, uh, just some of these bigger guys who come out and you just know they're going to instantly start dominating. Seven footers can oftentimes be a project in the sense that they need to come in, build up strength, grow into their bodies a little bit because of how much growing they did from 14 to 18 or whatever the case may be. Um, in terms of how he projects long-term, maybe what he starts impacting the program more, as a sophomore, junior, senior. And if you think he's going to impact faster than that, let me know. But in terms of what you see him projecting as, is it sort of like what we might see out of Koval this year, uh, which is, you know, a big man who can rim protect, who can stretch the floor, maybe struggles as a rebounder bit, or to see someone maybe with higher upside, maybe like a Koval with higher upside offensively. What do you see? I could see a little bit more upside offensively in that he has – the skill set currently where you could see him developing along those lines where he's a bit more of a, a focal point on offense. You know, Hayden Koval's the, the active leader in blocks in the NCAA. So I, I think it'll be hard 
for him to live up to that kind of, you know, 300 plus career blocks. I think Koval's at 336, something along those lines. I don't think Tolentino's going to quite get there. If he does, I mean, that's talk about it if, with the offensive potential he has. If he ends up blocking that many career shots, I mean, that would be a, a tremendous get. So I don't want to put that those kinds of expectations on him, but I think Miller and the staff really saw a lot. And he's an interesting prospect. You know, Reed's a top 150 kid, Skilling's is a top 75, top 100 kid, tons of offers. Tolentino hasn't been seen by as many people. And also with Tolentino, you have to bear in mind as well, you know, he's the kind of player where he came from Hawaii, where there's just not a high, as a high level of basketball on the island as there is in other areas. So not as many people have seen him. He's a pretty divisive prospect, depending on which kind of scout or national writer on the different recruiting scenes you speak to. Some people love him. Some people are, you know, less in love with him. So I think, how he responds in the injury, how he does this coming season. If he gets healthy, I think the upside is certainly there. And like you said, with big guys, they take longer to develop. So I'm just not sure when it's going to happen. But if everything kind of hits, you're looking at a, at a really, you know, a double-digit score who maybe averages five or six rebounds a game. Good stuff. Yeah, it's it's a recruiting class that early on here, not a finished product. Maybe it is from the high school front. It sounds like you expect that maybe those three guys are going to round out the 22 class and there's not a ton of guys leaving the program next season. Um, but it's already ranked, you know, 13th in the country. It's a really strong start from Wes Miller and his staff. You, you mentioned on the read front and with skillings that, that our, our recruiting team or that the assistant coaches like Chad dollar, um, Morgan, these guys were able to come in and, and kind of steal these guys away from other programs who had a head start. Uh, on the recruiting trail of these guys, how, like, what is it about our staff that's getting this done? You know, I don't know if you have the types of relationships where you kind of have a sense of what they're doing on the trail, but when talking to the recruits who actually decided to come here, speaking with Reed and his family, speaking with Skillings, you know, what is it about this staff that gained the trust so quickly and allowed them to steal these recruits for, and that's a bad choice of words, but win these recruits over other schools like Northwestern and the like. I didn't handle the Tolentino recruitment as much. I was actually out of town when that happened. So Chad had him on the radio. So Chad handled all that. I can speak more to Reed and Skillings. Skillings was a very late bloomer. So I know very early on in the spring when, when Miller saw him after he was hired and coaches could hit the road, they really were impressed by him and were at every game, really made their presence felt. And I think the relationship there really uh, cemented itself when he started announcing his visits. And just to let you know, Skillings has not talked to anybody anybody he even saw my my new jersey area code on my on my phone when i tried to message him and he didn't message me back and i was like he sees i have a new jersey area code it's like come on so <laughs> when he made the first official visit to cincinnati of all the schools that he was looking at that was huge because that was the first game back on campus for football with the fans and they had you know an event for the the basketball team there and a sold out stadium top 10 team in football that was huge and I think that really uh, his relationship with AJ McGinnis and a few other players on the team really helped a lot there. And then when he went to visit NC State, he was not there the weekend they upset Clemson. So sometimes it's just timing with some of those official visits. So that's how it really worked out with Skillings. And they just, you know, decided very early in the spring he was going to be you know, one of their top wing targets. And they really just pressed on and got it done with Reed. You know, Dow recruited him at Georgia. He knows all the best players in Georgia. So he recruited him when he was still an assistant at Georgia under Tom Crean. And then when he came to Cincinnati, you know, I spoke to Reed last week and his dad, Ron, you know, great people. And they said, look, you know, when he got the job at Cincinnati, he made Josh a priority as soon as he took the job at, at Cincinnati. So that priority status really cemented itself. And I think the fact they had the last visit and, and Reed, 
really stretched out. He took official visits back in like, you know, May, June and July. So he didn't just take them all like in, in a month. He really spread them out between AAU. And I think they sold him on the program and the big advantage that the Reed family mentioned to me that the important part was the tradition and history of, of UC. So no offense to Boston College and Northwestern and South Carolina and uh, Butler, but they don't have quite the tradition and history Cincinnati does. So that was a big thing. And they went and played golf. Wes Miller and Josh Reed literally went to a golf course, I think Summit Hills golf course during his visit and played around to golf. You know, so how does how did he shoot? Like, has he, has he got some game? What do you hear about it? He uh, well, Reed said that West was West is pretty good. So uh, that's what about, just what about Reed He's himself? A kind of player. What about Reed I himself? Didn't, I, I didn't I didn't actually get to ask him that. I'll, I'll have to check in and get back to you next time I'm on to see how he shot. And he also said that they went to like the geology department, and like the whole faculty was there. Like, how many athletes are going to major in like a hard science like that, and then on their visit actually get to go meet the the people in the program? So. It's uh, different from that res- in that respect. So, sorry, my two-year-old is a big, big Bearcat fan. He likes to appear on the podcast it. every once in a while. I love it. It's uh, for, it's so, the, so that was, uh, yes. So that that was uh, that was different for uh, for Reed. Every recruit's different. So the fact that more that Dollar was there, Dollar knows his family, and his dad told me that Dollar Dollar calls his dad and his brother all the time too. So he knows the whole family very well. And that was a big deal for Reed and his family in getting him to Cincinnati. I love it. No, it sounds like they. Uh... You know, the staff is just is it's kind of relentless in terms of how they pursue players, but also really seems to get to know what their interests are, what drives them, what motivates them. And so when they actually come to Cincinnati and get to take a visit and get a sense for what we have to offer, they're actually showing them what they have to offer and how they can develop basketball wise, but also off the court for whatever comes next after basketball ends, whenever that may be. Um, so that kind of rounds it up for what we're at, where we're at right now with the 2022 class. If you're making any predictions, do you see Wes Miller going after any graduate transfer big men or, or, or transfer portal big men because of the fact that we are losing our projected top two centers next season? How do you see that playing out? Yeah, I think uh, a grad center makes a lot of sense. You know, they took two this year to kind of get the roster where they wanted it. So at least one, maybe a more defensive-minded person who could eat up some minutes and just allow – you know, Sage Tolentino to develop at his own pace instead of forcing him into the action. And of, and of course, Victor Locken as well, because he still hasn't played, a, you know, he hasn't played a game in a couple of years now. So I think a grad transfer makes a lot of sense. And again, when looking at the transfer portal, you have to bear in mind, it's not just a matter of who's coming into the portal that might help your program. Is anyone on the current roster going to enter the portal themselves? Because we don't know how many spots there's going to, you know, there's going to be, because I think right now, Ado, Koval, and DeJulius are the only players that, seem more likely, you know, the two centers are definitely got, are going to be gone. DeJulius maybe could have to take an extra year, but and that's no guarantee. So I think only those three spots are for sure uh, going to be opening up. And then Rob Banks is a walk-on who has a scholarship this year. He might go back to walk-on status next year as a way to open up an additional roster spot. So bearing that in mind, and look at the roster, who's coming in, who's coming back potentially, center makes the most uh, sense to bring in a grad transfer. It seems like predicting roster spots year in, year out right now specifically is is a losing game. So I'm not going to pretend that we know exactly how many spots will be open. I, I do think that three seems like a very nice number for the high school recruiting. And, and what we fill in from there in the transfer portal really depends on what happens to our own roster and who enters the portal, who's available, 
Um, we'll get a feel for that as, th- as time goes on. Let me ask you this. We're coming up on a, on a nip at night game. Historically, that has been a time when uh, other, you know, football, but also basketball uses it as an opportunity to recruit, to have people on campus, get them to experience uh, the University of Cincinnati, Clifton, Nipper, the whole thing. Um, this coming weekend, UC plays Temple Friday night. Do you think there's going to be any 23 recruits or 24 recruits on campus? I don't know if you have this type of information, if there's anyone you know at this point who's coming, uh, but I figured I'd ask just in case. Yeah, I, I, I keep, uh, you know, I keep notebooks full of information about all this stuff in terms of 23 targets. You know, there's a hand, I haven't confirmed anyone yet, but there's a handful of guys I could see making a visit, whether it's Rayvon Griffith, who's obviously local uh, at Taft. Um, you know, Austin Parks, who's the top big man in the state in 2023 up in St. Mary's, Ohio. Someone like Daywin Swain, who's at, uh, I think he's up in the Columbus area or Cleveland area. Um, Marlon Barnes is in, the, is in the Cleveland area. He plays at Brush High School or did play at Brush where, where Pitt freshman John Hughley played. So there's a handful of players across the state that I could see coming. And then 24, there's a few of the local players at Moeller I could see coming to visit. The hardest part about figuring out who's going to visit for a football game on a Friday night is the fact that basketball hasn't started yet. But since these recruits are 23 and 24, they're all unofficial visits. And it's like, it's so touch and go. I can, I can hear maybe 10 names are coming to visit and then maybe like eight of them actually got there. So that's the tricky part. But like you said, nip at night, first home game in three or four weeks. So I think they're going to want to take advantage of the excitement around campus for football, especially coming off the win over Notre Dame, being ranked number five in the nation. So there'll definitely be some basketball players there. And now that practice has started as well for basketball, they can see workouts, they can see how practice operates, stuff like that. You kind of want to get players around your program. And some of the guys that could be there have likely already made a visit earlier in the summer or spring when players were able to make visits again. So this could be like a second trip or a third trip as you start to see Wes and his staff get these guys on campus multiple times, not just, okay, get a guy once, close them. It's, it's building that relationship over time. And like have, you know, I've recruited this player for a year or two, not just like it happened in three months. So really trying to build and develop those relationships with the players, recruit the region, not just, you know, where you, you find players in 22, for example, that can really help you, but for 23 and 24 and beyond getting those players on campus early and often build those relationships, let them see the school, see the campus and just see what you're building. All the more reason for fans to turn up, turn out, and and, and uh, really pack Nippert Stadium again and, and show any prospect, any any potential recruits, uh, what the University of Cincinnati is about. Because it really does seem like Skillings specifically cited it, I think, with you and, and I think in your write-up, or it may, may have been Chad, but like he he was, it was out there on Twitter somewhere with like, he was truly blown away with the Bearcat ruckus, the overall experience. Um, We've seen, obviously, the, the national impact our fan base had on that Notre Dame game and how much respect we're getting from them in terms of how we just absolutely dominated the stadium and punked the Notre Dame fan base. Um, it, it's quite impressive, quite exciting. And, and I got to say, the, the, the recruiting that West Miller has done so far, both with the 22, sorry, the 22 class, obviously, these three recruits we have, but also how he, how he filled in and kind of put together this 2021 roster. I think it's really exciting. I think there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things to talk about. We don't know exactly how it's going to shake out, but I think that's a good way to transition to talking about this current roster and maybe seeing what happens uh, or sharing our thoughts on that team. Cause it's, 
it's a very deep team, one through 13. And I think I'm getting the number of players right. But I mean, this team seems to be just really deep at, at multiple positions. You do have a few players that stand out in terms of having secured roles. Uh, but there are some question marks in terms of who's, who fills in the starting lineup or who's getting the majority of the minutes. The first thing I wanted to talk to you about is that based on some of uh, Justin Williams' recent writing about, about the basketball program, the, the insinuation and the indication from, from Wes Miller appears to be that we're going to actually see Micah Adams-Woods return to more of a point, point guard, ball handler type role, whereas last season he basically played exclusively the two guard. And I think that's also going to go hand in hand with David DeJulius sliding back more to that scoring threat, not being relied on as a full-time facilitator for the offense. You know, share with me what you've heard so far, what you've gathered about that, those two players specifically. Yeah. I, mean, I had heard that David was going to be playing more off the ball a few months back. And I think that makes a lot of sense because I felt like last year, he was playing 30 plus minutes a game and him being on the ball as much as he was, it was, a, it was a hard, it was a fine line for him to try and navigate and setting up for his teammates. And he had games where he had seven, eight, nine assists, but then he had like maybe, you know, seven or eight points. It was hard for him to find his own offense in that role. And I think his ability to shoot and move without the ball works really well at the two and allows this team to have a veteran senior in the backcourt who can provide points and then still also create for others. Wes has talked about having multiple point guards or multiple ball handlers on the court. And that makes a lot of sense. And I think with Micah Adams Woods, if he plays more of a one, I felt like he he's a bit more engaged if he has the ball in his hands. I'm not saying he can't play off the ball, but I like his ability to get into the lane, use his wingspan to his advantage. And he's very steady. He doesn't really turn the ball over, doesn't take chances. And late in the game, he was money last season from the free throw line. So having him be able to handle the ball a little bit more and, again, developing those point guard skills that are having yo-yo back and forth a little bit, I think Mate is a better use of their skill set for what Wes wants to do. And I think I like that because if Mike Saunders Jr. is starting point guard, you'll see from Wes's prior teams at UNCG, very rarely did anyone average over 30 minutes a game. So if there's a bit more of a split, you want guys playing multiple spots. If you talk about being versatile and multi-positional, well, those guys have to play multiple spots too. And I think that's why you're going to see a bit of that this season. Sure. I think that's a great point. I'm not, I certainly don't want to make it seem like David DeJulius is going to be pigeonholed into off ball or Micah, Micah Adams Woods is going to be pigeonholed into point guard. I think you're going to see guys float back and forth, but it seemed like last season we sort of moved away from Adams Woods ability to run the point. I don't, I don't look at him as sort of this explosive guard who's going to get into the lane and, and, and create a bunch of opportunities for big men consistently. But what he is going to be is, is a rock solid ball control type point guard for lack of a better term. Like he's very historically, he's been very safe with the ball. He doesn't turn it over. Um, He does have the ability to get in the lane and he also has the ability to knock down a three. The free throws was obviously a great point. Um, Did Julius is interesting. I think, like you mentioned, his scoring threat, his ability to shoot. What Bearcats saw in his one season so far, Bearcats fans, I should say, saw with his one season so far is that he shot, I think, around 17% from three in his first year with the Bearcats, which was a, a dramatic drop-off from where he was his sophomore year at Michigan. We've seen the videos online in the offseason. We've heard about the development. He switched numbers from zero to five. It's sort of like a, a fresh start for David DeJulius of sorts, and I think everyone on this team who played here last year needs that fresh start do you do you think there's there's reason to believe that the shooting is going to come around this season 
Yeah, I think it's going to normalize. I mean, last year, aside from just the different coaching staff, you know, playing, not playing in front of fans and the restrictions on practice and things like that and, and the injuries they had and, and some opt-outs last year. Last year, it was so unusual for so many teams that I'm not, I'm not saying dismiss it entirely, but I, I think the Julius is definitely in, in line for a big rebound. And I think he has the level of maturity and, you know, I feel bad because this is his fourth year at college. This will be the fourth different coaching staff he's played under. So he hasn't had the kind of consistency and continuity that a former top owner recruit might normally see in his college career. So I think from that standpoint, the fresh start's going to be really good for him. And I think all the all the guards and wings on team, they're all very supportive. They all know they're going to play. And I, I think the early part of the season, people maybe complain a bit about the strength of the schedule in some regards, but you want to play against teams that you know you're likely going to beat while you kind of figure out what the rotations are going to be as you get into conference play, you need to see, you know, what, what the lineup's going to look like, who's going to start, who's going to finish games. So I think from that standpoint, if he's more comfortable off the ball or he's more effective off the ball, then you got to find minutes for other players that have played. Because remember, you look at the roster, like you said, one to 13, what does this roster not have on it? A true freshman. There is not a single true incoming freshman on this roster. Everyone on this team has played on a college game before. So while this team has experience. They don't have experience playing together on the same team with the guys that transferred in with the portal. It's, it's different in that regard. And that's what you're going to need to develop and practice in some of these super secret scrimmages, which Indiana coach Mike Woodson tipped off that they're going to be playing Indiana at one of these alleged scrimmages here in the next uh, couple of weeks. And that'll be good because Indiana's got a lot of returning players and they took a foreign trip. So they got extra practices. That'll be a good measuring stick for, I think what this team is capable of this season. The experience is a great point. Um, we were chatting on the f- uh, phone a few weeks back and you mentioned that to me and it really hit home that the weakness is that they haven't really played together, but the strength is that they all have college experience. And that also leads to sometimes players taking unexpected leaps from one year to another. You know, when you, you finally have that college experience, you've gotten a little more time in the weight room, uh, a little more time, just getting a feel for the speed of the game that could lead to some, you know, sneaky higher expectations for West Miller in year one, because he's not coming in with like a rebuild down to the ground where we're, we're playing young 18 year olds and, and guys who need to get a feel for the college game. I mean, this is a group of guys who, who have already shown they can compete in the American athletic, at least with the Bearcats who are returning, but also some guys like Odio Guama um, and Abdullah Doe and, and Hayden Koval, who have had a lot of success already at, at high level programs. So I think that, that bodes well for our prospects overall. Let me ask you this. Jeremiah Davenport was the, the star of the team last season. Um, absolute breakout season. Three-point shot went from 14% to, to higher 30s. He was the kind of guy last year where if he's shooting from three, we feel great about it. He was doing it off the dribble, shoot and catch. And throughout the season, we saw him as expanding his game, You know, adding dribble pull-ups and, and being able to get to the rim, just a, a constant improvement, a consistent improvement for Jeremiah, even throughout the season, this season, he's coming in, the team has been restructured, you know, last season, I think at the four, it was basically Tari Eason or bust. Uh, Chris vote was at the five. There wasn't a ton of front court depth, uh, especially given how Brandon didn't like playing my boy, Mamadou Diara this year, the front court is a lot different. I just mentioned them, Ab- Abdullah Doe, Hayden Koval, Victor Lockins coming back potentially and playing some games this season. And then Odio Guama as well. It does seem to mean that Jeremiah Davenport will actually be playing less like small ball for this season and really leaning on his ability to score as a wing and, and being a wing player for the Bearcats. 
what do you think he's working on this season and how do you think that bodes for him, you know, exclusively kind of playing on the wing this season? I mean, he's kind of a modern day hybrid forward in a lot of ways. You know, he has some things he does really well that you'd like from a player on the wing. And uh, on the flip side, he has some things that he could do as an undersized four. Um, and in the American, you kind of go, get away with that a little bit and, and just kind of mix and match depending who you're playing in, in a given game. And I just think his ability to stretch the floor at the three or the four is really helpful because, like you said, he had to play the four last season just because of the who was left the healthy on the roster. And I think if he plays more at the three with the size you have, it allows you to do different things because he's not being asked to do as much defensively guarding much bigger players or have to contribute as much on the glass because there were games last year where the rebounding was really rough, especially against a Houston or a Memphis type team. So having Oguama, who's battled for two years in the ACC at, at Wake Forest, and then obviously Ado, who played four years at Mississippi State, he's played 131 career games. Koval has played 120 or some odd games in four years. You know, those are players with the experience and knowledge to not just help in terms of rebounding and defense and taking pressure off of Davenport, but Davenport's going to be higher up the scouting report too. So if, if he gets more attention, which he likely will, who else can convert, you know, can, can uh, Ado convert down low, can Oklahoma convert down low, can Koval step out and hit a three because he's not being guarded as closely. So those are all parts of the maturation process for Davenport. And I, I think that was something fans wanted to see the last couple of years from Keith Williams as he kind of became, you know, the number one guy and it didn't really quite materialize. So I think Davenport's going to have to continue to work because he's the player that nothing comes easy for a player like that. And I think that really resonates and he's local with Cincinnati fans because they like those kinds of players who you see the progression from a Kenya Martin's freshman or sophomore year to what he became his senior year. So if Davenport continues on that trajectory, I think it bodes well and the better he does, offering a reliable option on the wing and shooting that's going to raise the ceiling for this team, as you pointed out, because people expect the team to compete and they have the depth down low and the experience, but the, the team's overall potential will hinge on how good they are offensively. I think that Jeremiah Davenport, the, the roster turnover we're seeing actually, the, the more I think about it, I think it really favors his skill set quite well. I think defensively, you mentioned it, you know, he struggled a bit last year being expected to do too much rebounding. Like he, I'd love to see him become a great rebounder or an above average rebounder for his position, but being a, a four and being leaned on to just be like a primary rebounder alongside a very weak rebounding center. That was, that was obviously not going to play to Jeremiah Davenport's advantage this season. You've got a front court that looks to be quite strong when it comes to rebounding and cleaning up the defensive glass that's something that he now doesn't necessarily have to lean on as much. There's also a lot of rim protection there uh, for a guy, both, both Addo and, and Koval are guys who are going to protect the rim for the Bearcats. And so what Jeremiah Davenport might have lacked, and I sh I'm making a big caveat there because he's had a summer now under, under Rayfeld's training, but he, he isn't necessarily the most fleet of foot defensively, but you've got protection now behind you where it makes it a bit easier for a guy like Davenport to match up against some of the more athletic wings he might see offensively. He's going to absolutely have uh, be a matchup nightmare for teams across the American. And otherwise he's big, he can shoot over guys. It's, it's almost impossible to contest his shot. You know, that's one thing I noticed about him last season is that he, he's, he almost never is impacted by a defender when shooting a three pointer. So I do think offensively, he's going to be able to feast, and then the last thing that you kind of started hitting on, which might be worth discussing, is it'll be interesting to see how Wes Miller and his staff transition Jeremiah into being like a focal point of the offense 
without necessarily making him be like a, a high usage ball player. One impressive thing about his statistical jump last season was that his usage rate basically stayed the same from freshman year to sophomore year. And that's just a rate, like doesn't matter how many minutes he's playing, his actual usage when on the court did not change that much despite his increase in production. So I'm curious if they can find a way for him to continue to be efficient with that type of production without necessarily making him be, you know, a ball dominant wing player. Like, I think there's ways to do that. It'll be curious to see how the coaching staff helps him adapt to that type of role. Yeah. His, his continued development will be a big deal. And I think also, like you said, having a, you know, cause he had a, he had an injury, I think after or late in his freshman year. So, you know, he's completely healthy, which I think will be a big help. And I know Ray felt going to make a huge impact in terms of the fitness level and conditioning of this team. His return cannot be uh, overstated by any stretch. And I, I do think, as you pointed out, when you've got some other players and, and depth around you in the front court and you're not having to guard quite as many players, that's going to help because he's not going to be playing 32, 33 minutes a game because there's no one else that can play. So I think guys can be just as efficient, if not more so, in you know three to five fewer minutes a game. You're not going to be playing guys that are worn out. And if you have short turnarounds on trips, you know guys that you know are capable of playing more minutes on a given night will do so if this foul trouble things like that so having Ado and Koval and Oguaba and those players and John Newman can't be over you know he's a real defensive stopper so if he's the other wing he he comes in he can really lock down guys in the perimeter where that whoever's guarding Davenport and, and that'll be beneficial to him and, and you know seeing guys like Mason Madsen and AJ McGinnis and we haven't even talked about Jared Hensley at all who I think is a very interesting player who could potentially play the three or the four. So guys like, you know, those guys can shoot, you know, Hensley can really shoot the three. So can McGinnis, they can really score. How do those guys adjust to moving up a level and having to play a different level of defense uh, playing, you know, guarding guys on Houston and Memphis and, and UCF and some of the other quality teams that are in the, in this league, you know, that'll be the, the, the big test there. And I, I think as practice keeps going underway, you, you know, see more stuff comes out, they work on more of the installation. Cause that, you know, first few days of practice, it's all, all defense and rebounding and effort kind of drills. They haven't gotten into like the, the, the sexy stuff you want to see with like offensive sets and getting guys open and end game situations. And, you know, out of bounds, uh, you know, underneath out of bounds, plays, set yeah. Plays. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So you know, all that stuff's going to be very interesting to see. And I'm hoping to make it to town in the next couple of weeks and, and maybe see a practice and uh, hope my seven-year-old doesn't run around the gym and pull his pants down or something and just do something to embarrass me and get us all kicked out or, you know, stuff like that. So that that's kind of how I see it. And I just think with this team, you know, people are excited. And uh, as long as they play hard and if the, if the rebounding's there, the defense is there, I think they'll be in a lot of games. You know, Memphis obviously has a tremendous amount of talent. Houston's going to be very good again. So, you know, I, I think conservatively, you know, I'm not going to give a prediction for the record, but I think this team's certainly talented enough and capable to finish in the top five of this league. Oh, I'm definitely going to make you give give me a more uh, specific prediction than that. Just just wait till the end. It's, it's coming. Um, you Look, I think... The most interesting thing about this team, the biggest question mark is just how the heck is Wes Miller going to balance this many players who can, who can actually, you know, play uh, vi who would expect to vie for minutes with the team. I think there's, there's questions about, we didn't even get to dive into AJ McGinnis and Mike Saunders Jr.'s development, uh, John Newman, the third, there's still so much to talk about Brett. Uh, I know it, you know, you've got a quick appearance here today. Just know that because we didn't dive into those guys, 
I for sure am having you back on soon so we can kind of wrap up this conversation. Um, all in all, if you're looking at where you're at from last season and, and how we ended and the kind of depressing state of Bearcat basketball heading into Wes Miller's first season, you know, maybe you can wrap up this podcast by summing up just where you, where you are emotionally and mentally with this team from an excitement level and expectations level, and just a, a level of, of um, just how you're, how you're evaluating this team and, and the expectations you have. You know, my expectations are that the team's going to play really hard. They're really going to defend. I, I think they're really going to do a good job of executing whatever the game plan is going to be. I've heard very good things about uh, West Miller's coaching style and how he allows his assistants to really help out. And I mean, the staff he's put together, not just the assistant coaches, even like Jake Thielen as the, as the DBO, he's got local ties and, you know, C.B. McGrath, a special assistant to the head coach, like he was a head coach at UNC Wilmington. He was an assistant for over a decade in North Carolina. You haven't seen this amount of talent in a locker room that isn't actually suiting up to play at this school in such a long time. So I'm, I'm excited. I, I want to see that, you know, again, for me, wins and losses are great. It's the first year of a new coaching regime. I'm going to be realistic about it. I know a lot of these players very well. I've known Mason Madsen for years. I've known Mike Saunders Jr. for over two years. I'm very close to these players. I'm close to their parents. I want to see them succeed. I think they came back for a reason. I'm excited about the future of the program. I'm fired up about the staff that's been put in place, the recruiting they've already done, and where they can take this program as they finish out their time in the American. Look forward to what's going to be one beast of a basketball conference in the Big 12. I love it. That's a perfect sign off, Brett. I know for a fact people are going to write us and say that I wish I would have gone longer. Just know everyone's we have time limits sometimes. Brett, can I get a promise now we're going to get you back on soon? Yes, maybe that maybe that my third appearance, maybe Hummer will actually show up this time instead of always not being available <laughs> I know. whenever I come on. I have to ask Hummer now if he's got some sort of secret problem with you because he does. He's conveniently traveling or doing something for work now the last two appearances appearances. We apologize for that, Brett, but thank you again for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast today. Wrap it up on. I know I'm very intimidating, Hummer, so next next time, uh, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Appreciate it, Brett. We are now joined by Hummer back on the podcast after ditching the Brett Stein interview. Yeah, you know, screw that guy. I didn't want to be on that podcast anyway. That's awkward. And we're also joined by Sam Elliott, Gambling Sam, the semantics on Twitter. Our, our gambling guru is back. Sam, thank you for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here, gentlemen. Well, it's been a while since we chatted. And uh, a, 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 lot, a lot has happened. A lot has happened. You know, the biggest win in Cincinnati Bearcat football has happened. The, Notable that they are now four and zero on the season and Important. and all signs point to undefeated college football playoff contention uh, and national buzz is palpable. I am absolutely loving where we are uh, when it comes to the Cincinnati Bearcats football program. So with all that said, it's time for Sam to set the table with where we go in terms of conference play. I imagine Sam, you've done all the research You've looked at the futures. You've got some American athletic numbers for us. I hope you've also got some temple numbers. Big first matchup in, in American athletic play. Nip at night, Friday night, baby. Friday night football, Friday night lights. Sam, the table's yours. Let us know what we're 
looking at going forward with the Bearcats gamble from a gambling perspective? Nip at night. Nip at night, opening esteemed American Athletic Conference play. What a time to be alive. <laughs> Truly. Look, the 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 it's all it's all it's I I can I say it's Sam, all downhill from here? It's not all just, downhill from here, but you no. are completely you're you're emotionally overwhelmed right now. I I mean we're we're, we're what, coming off such days? a great high. We're coming off such a high of that Notre Dame win, and now you look at all right, what's next? Oh, you're Temple. sobbing, you're sobbing harder than our friend B Fox. Right. I mean, this is but this look, is a struggle look, to watch. I mean, we got this conference in the bag preseason, it was like minus 200. Now you're you can't find it for better than minus 350, minus 400, like four to one lock. We're locking in or one to four, you know what I mean. The well, next best odds to win this conference, SMU and Houston, are both at plus 700. Like, oh, my God. Well, Brett McMurphy, um, you know, his, his darling Central Florida team dropped an early game to <laughs> – I mean, they dropped a couple early games. But that uh, – you know, they, they lost the game on a pick six uh, by Dylan Gabriel, a, a player who is honestly the antithesis of our quarterback, Desmond Ritter. He's a guy who has got stats, throws the ball downfield, you know, such a great player, this and that. But when it comes down to it, when it comes to nut crunch time, always manages to let his team down, does not rise in the fourth quarter. Desmond Ritter does the opposite. And, and I hate even talk, track, talking trash about him because he's hurt. You know, he, he broke his collarbone or clavicle uh, in, that, in that Louisville game. But it was it's an obviously big hit for the American Athletic Conference. Uh, and then obviously like Memphis is dropping games to, uh, to, to far inferior competition. And SMU, uh, yeah. SMU so, appears to be the temple. one. Temple just beat Memphis last week. That's who it was. There oh, you go. and it's got the Memphis uh, Temple fans riled up. Like they are coming into this game confident. You know, they're they're me- they have message boards, guys. They have message boards. Uh, they're coming in just like full Wait. throttle, thinking that this is the game that they can pull the <laughs> amazing upset. Like wait, like- wait, wait. There are Temple message boards. Yes. Yes, there's Temple message boards, and ironically enough, there was a bunch of Cincinnati fans trolling it. Was their last um, update back, like from Pepe Sanchez era? Is that what we're talking <laughs> here, John Cheney? Is that when they last were, were chatting about sports on their board? Well, the latest one is uh, beating Cincinnati at Cincinnati, posted October third at eight twenty a.m. I'm going to oh, read this. We clearly got to read this. By the way, uh, rest in peace, John Cheney, absolute legend. Got to got to read this. <laughs> All right, from AO Diamond One. If you don't believe Temple will face headwinds in Cincinnati next week, you are crazy. I'm watching the Memphis Temple game replay on ESPN Plus. First off, who's watching a Temple Memphis game rewatch on ESPN Plus? Uh, whatever, go for it. Hype whatever, Temple whatever. fans, man, they're out yeah, there. Man. The all six of them. The ref and the commentators were both against us the whole game. Why wouldn't they be? Why wouldn't they be your Temple? Like. You guys pulled an upset against Memphis. Like, but I love that he's okay. saying, like, the announcers being against them was somehow inhibiting their ability to win this game. Stop. Right. Right. We were well, they did, no, they did win the game. Watched, I don't know if you watched NBC, but... No, but as if other, it was impacting Every other anything. comment was a yeah. advertisement for the 
the holy trinity of Notre Dame and how awesome Notre Dame is and how we're lucky to be there. Yeah, NBC has a that's NBC's yeah, contract. That's what they do. So now that Cincinnati has beaten Notre Dame in their own house, both the AAC and ESPN will grease the pass for the Bearcats to be the first AAC team to make the college football playoff. Only, well, I mean, I hope so. They can go undefeated and win the AAC championship with flair for Temple to look good, and maybe, if only by accident, pulls an upset win, these things must happen. This is where I think it gets really good here, okay? First oh, off, yeah, first you, I don't really get this part. Like, this is just this is what you do when you, when you coach football games, right? This is just stuff that you normally do. This shouldn't be like the, the path to victory is your coach doesn't make dumb mistakes, okay? Coaching has to put points on the board every chance they can. No shit, right? You're in the red zone. You got to score. <laughs> unless it's fourth and inches on the goal line, kick a field goal and add points. That's where you're wrong. That's what makes Luke Fickle special. He scores touchdowns. Temple thinks they're going to beat the Bearcats with field goals and in the red zone. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Coaching can never ever inflict a timeout on downs in Temple territory. This was a high school level head coach, bad call leading to opponents scoring seven points. This is just plain wrong decision-making. Okay. Whatever that means. On third and short, always using the shotgun. Offensive coordinator, can't pronounce his name, Muvic, or Ure Muvic. That's actually kind of Ure Muvic. (laughs) Better remembered. Sounds like a long-lost brother of Mari Povich. (laughs) Right. Better remember he is in the Midwest. (laughs) And use football with two tight ends to blow a hole at the PO's point of contact and get the yards needed. Uh, Cincinnati will respect this attack. What? The rest will call offsides or a holding to help Cincinnati. What? Do we do we know that we have like the best cornerbacks in college, especially now? You know, uh, God rest LSU and and everything you guys just went through. The best cornerback in college football now, like, is on university's like team, and Kobe Bryant isn't far behind him. Um, whatever, guys, you're delusional. And then QB Mathis and our wide receivers will make them pay with the reception. You really think that <laughs> your wide receivers, we just played Notre Dame. You know, they had one that's the 12th best recruiting class in, in, in the country. You, you think that Temple's wide receivers are better than Notre Dame's that you guys are just going to throw the football all over us. Get real. Temple defense is using a four, three scheme. Congratulations. Everybody's using a three, four scheme in college football. They're sending eight guys back in the coverage. They're making quarterbacks beat you and they're daring you to run the football. Grow up. It statistically works on passing and it's falling on third and fourth, third, fourth, and short. The cornerbacks have to play in and the box gets loaded to actually stop opponent success. We dared Notre Dame to run the damn ball. Grow up guys. Maybe not going from 3-4, 4-3, or even 5-2 with a surge would help. Cincinnati uses power running, C number three. Yeah, because we have a fantastic running back who's probably going to at some point be on an NFL roster. Not necessarily as a starting or a cowbell, but he's going to make a roster. He's a good running back. Jesus Christ. This post is still going on? Oh, yeah. Get the oh, last one. This oh, is, please. This is key. The last key. The oh. last key to victory here. Temple fans have to watch this game. In order for us to win, we have to watch this game. That's we a need a million-plus viewers from the greater Philadelphia area to make a statement about love for our beloved Owls football team. You play in an empty NFL stadium. Like, there is no love for Temple football. Temple football is like the lowest of Philadelphia sports. 
Like it's the lowest form it's, of sports rooting in the city of Philadelphia. There, there right, is, Homer, you have experience. That's right. In as a, fel, a former Philadelphian, you can well, dude, we you can, can attest to the. We, we, look, we just broke down. We just broke down the game. You, know, you don't need to listen to any other podcast regarding breaking down Temple. Oh, they just give no. it to you how they're going to win the game. Is they're going to have viewers watching it at home? No, that no post goes hard. That post goes hard. I love that. I love that. No other podcast is going to give you the Temple message board. It's, it's pretty cool that the you know, you know of their of their robust fan base. You've got a guy who goes that deep, provides that level of analysis, and and frankly, the best part is. Uh, is his conspiracy talk, you know, like this, it opens the line opens. Sam's going to get to the line here in a minute. It's some, you know, significant line of like four touchdowns, but yeah, the refs are greasing the wheels for the Bearcats to make sure that, uh, to make sure we get by temple. I, I will say this and Luke fickle mentioned it in his press conference before we, you know, replay this podcast. Hopefully, hopefully we're not replaying that segment in, in some dark, uh, just dark, awful way because things went horribly wrong, but, Dude, if we're walking in confident that we were going to win Notre Dame, I'm walking in confident. Of course we are. Of Temple, course we are. Okay? But I will say, like, it is worth pointing out. As like, they're going to start himself, off at 100% on the probability chart. We played these guys in November of 2019. Cincinnati won 15-13 in Cincinnati. The year before that, 2018, Temple wins 24-17. The year before that, 2017 in Cincinnati, a 35-24 victory uh, for Temple as well. Uh, and then you know, I think before Temple had won like four straight games before 2019. All I'm saying is they've they've given the Bearcats some issues historically. I would say plenty has changed since 2019. That was a year where our offense sputtered, couldn't block, couldn't put up points. We saw what happened in 2020. We didn't get a chance to play them, but obviously our offense went up a whole le- whole another level. This season's been no different. We're seeing being able to open, you know, spread the spread the ball around. Lots of threats on the outside. Great running back in Jerome Ford. I don't, I'm not that, I'm not concerned, but I'm just saying, and it's worth saying that Temple has been a thorn in our side, as said by Luke Fickle, uh, our, our Lord and Savior, just, just this week. Look, I get yeah, a, look. I, yeah, go ahead, oh, Sam. They're coming off of a big, they are coming off of an upset win. They were 11 point underdogs to, against Memphis, win that game by three. The, that was their conference opener. So look, they're 1 and 0. Coming into the big, the big, big heavy favorite in the conference for a big Friday night nip at night game, you know. Sold they're out. Gonna, they're Sold gonna enjoy out nip at night. They're gonna they're gonna enjoy that atmosphere to a point too. But um, I, I I don't think. Uh, look, the Bearcats are twenty nine point favorites. So the, look, this is gonna be a fun game. We're gonna cover. We're gonna cover every bit of twenty nine points. Like I, th- I feel like the way the Bearcats are starting to roll, I think we're past that point of where we're coming out not firing on all cylinders. You know what I mean? Like the the jittery, the jitteries are gonna be gone. They're gonna come out fired up. And I think Luke Fickle's comments there were more about bringing the team if they're watching his comments. I'm sure they do actually watch that and take notice, making sure that we're pulling ourselves back to reality, and that we're not drunk on the success of Notre Dame. And that we're in fact sober for what we, the monumental task that we have to do, which is not losing games, obviously, but winning games big. That's what we have to do. And I think Fickle's just making sure everybody's everybody's on point with what they have to do. I think that's right. the biggest challenge for Luke Fickle and the Bearcats is is week in, week out against clearly inferior competition, staying totally locked in. 
realizing that, hey, we, we can't we can't just go undefeated. The expectation is going undefeated, undefeated and emphatically winning games against these teams that, that we have four touchdown spreads against. You know, Temple is coming off a really big win against Memphis uh, last week. But Memphis, if we remember, the week before playing Temple, lost to University of Texas San Antonio. Uh, gave up a 21-point lead in that game. You know, they're a team that cannot defend. They give up points every single game they play. They beat Arkansas State 55-50. Uh, Memphis has, has an offense that can move the ball, and they play absolutely zero defense. I mean, I think they are like a bottom five defense in college football. 29 points is interesting because you're talking about more than four touchdowns. I do think yeah. that's it's a good line. It's an interesting line. Where's your head at, Sam? I mean, yeah, like you said, Bearcats know they need style points, especially you know, especially coming right off the Notre Dame game, just because that win's going to get you earn you just some more ex- extra attention, extra eyeballs, no matter what. And it's just like pretty like scheduled, pretty you know, whoever made the you know scheduled it pretty perfectly to follow up that Notre Dame game with a with a prime time Friday night, all the attention on ESP, the ESPN national game of the night um, to make that the conference opener, a very winnable game and Friday night, nip at night under the lights, that place will be rocking sold out. I really don't think winning by 30 plus is going to be a problem. What's the over under what's the over under in this game? 54. And that's probably going to be the final score of the Bearcats, right? That's going to be, they're going to have 54 points up there. Um, Desmond Ritter, where we're looking at, at him right now, he's probably looking at it being third for, for consideration of Heisman, which I know we'll get in the odds there. Yeah. He's but in he the room a, where it happens. He needs, getting he needs six TDs. He's going to need six TDs in this game. He's going to need five or six TDs. So, you know, the points are going to be on the board. Like it's gonna happen, and I hate to say it this way because uh, this is not good for me. Not running another beer mile, um, but Alec Pierce is probably gonna have at least two deep bombs thrown to him that are gonna be gone for touchdowns. And um, he's getting in. Did you guys see him getting the uh, getting the love? Tyler, the he is getting in the love, and he, and he's and it's right because he's got a he's got a huge frame, six two, like two fifteen, yeah. impressive physicality, can catch the ball over, you know, over defenders. Um, and obviously he has great speed as well. So he's a super interesting draft prospect. And I think Mel Kuyper was saying like third or fourth round sleeper. That's a really nice pick for Alec Pierce. Is that, that this rising. year or next year? Because I this know coming, next year. this coming season. That's his most recent right yeah. Okay. Kuyper yeah. had Des Ritter as his number five quarterback. And he had Alec Pierce as a just under the radar guy to watch. I'm f- I'm fine with Des at, at number five to be honest. Like I get it. Like he's a great college quarterback. I and getting a lot of love this week. He's getting I don't a wanna, lot like, of love. I I don't want to be the guy who says it. You know, I don't want to be the guy who says it on on a podcast. But I, you know, Des is great and he does great things for Cincinnati. I will be curious to see how that translates to the next level. Please, and, please keep doubting the Tom Brady of college football. Please, I, keep, you know, keep what? doubting him. All he does is win. If I keep doubting him, then he keeps winning, and I'm happy to be keeping proved wrong. 
It's unbelievable to me that you still have any sort of skepticism about this quarterback. He's no, I have, it's not in college. I don't have the skepticism as the Bearcats. I maybe have it on the next level. I just don't see him as as a starting quarterback in the NFL. You can't see him running that Pittsburgh Steeler offense, dishing dimes um, to um, Claypool, yeah. Juju, and Najee. Gross. No. That's what's going to happen. They're going to Steelers are going to draft him in the first round. Based on right based on the eye fucking I saw from Mike Tomlin and Aaron Rodgers, I think uh I think he's got a different quarterback in mind for next season. That'd be fun, too. Well, we'll see. Either way, Dez is going to light them up. It's not going to be it's not it's not going to be pretty for him. Let's talk. Yes. Let's talk about Dez Reyes more because you, I, I'm loving all of the national interviews and features and NIL he's deals and, and action. And, and yeah, he's look. The Heisman that he's getting invited. If the ceremony's happening today, he's invited. He's getting there. And put that kid, put put that adorable daughter on television. And look, I mean, yes, he's a distant third behind Bryce Young, Matt Coral at like plus one twenty, plus two hundred. And then you got Desritter sitting between like plus twelve hundred to sixteen hundred. But is that distant third? I think he's distant to Bryce Young, but he's pretty much in the mix from two to four, right? No. He's he's got significantly worse odds than number two, two plus two hundred and then plus twelve hundred. Okay, all right, that's distant. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I heard that. I heard that wrong. Yeah. So you know, those are the you know SEC two SEC quarterbacks. Shocker that they're going to be Heisman contenders. You know, yeah. corrupt. He's, he's going to have plenty of opportunities to put up wild statistics, and racking up wins is certainly not going to hurt. And um, you know. We, we, I, we're talking about Des Ritter. I haven't brought this up on the podcast, I don't think. Can we talk about Mike Tirico and completely over-exaggerating the cockiness of Des Ritter? Like, as it, and kind of like portraying him yes. as if he's somewhat disrespectful to his opponent. Look, Look he told I've a been story about, to, like, not caring about crowd there. noise. Calm down, yeah, Mike Tirico. Man. Dude, have you, like, the, the video of that exchange is... They the 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 graphics and the reading the quotes and in 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 print make it sound so much more boastful and just bravado with so much more bravado and and just big eye roll swag that, behind yeah. it. But they show the video of him answering the question. And he's just talking to one local like one local reporter. You know, it's not a big TV moment or produced anything, but there is video of it. He's just talking to the reporter. What he's saying, telling in a that, story of talking with his offensive coordinator, tell you know, just saying jokingly, yes, that oh, yeah, he was talking about crowd noise, and uh, it's not gonna be that loud for too long. Like, it was so innocent. It's him showing confidence in his ability to deliver points, to deliver touchdowns, and which would lead to the crowd being uh, more quiet and not it necessarily way, being something he'd be worried about. I, I, th- I think and then it was proven wrong. right. Cause the Bearcats blew up the stadium. It, you guys are wrong. It happened. You guys it are wrong. Happened. Your takes are incredibly wrong. Yeah, it they, happened. they, I've never seen two people more wrong in my entire life. Des was completely talking shit and good for him. He should have been right. He backed, <laughs> well, he backed it, up. it up. He, he backed, backed it up. up. So, you know what? Take that quote, Take it out of context, blow it all up over social media, make the story out of it, make it bulletin board material. Yeah, Des because when he runs that touchdown, it's not going to be very loud the, in, the, the in there the for year, very long. That was amazing. When he not gives that crowd, the, 
No. And he gives that crowd the hand to the ear. That was incredible. No, but my problem is, Hummer, it was at the very end of the game. He's walking over to shake hands with Brian Kelly and the coaching staff of Notre Dame. And Tariko makes this offhand comment about Ritter actually also having some class. And the insinuation yeah. is there, like, yes. like he's just like, this shit talking oh, jock. We heard jock. a lot of talk, but we also get some class. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Come on. Do you, do, you expect, do you expect anything better better from uh, NBC? Do you expect that? Like, they are really a giant Notre Dame ad, a four hour Notre Dame broadcast ad every single weekend in the fall. Like, that's all it is. They're going to find every excuse. Like, even when we were doing something well, it's a, it's the whole this mentality of, of the fans in Notre Dame. Well, we beat ourselves. You know what? Every single team that loses a close game says that, but no, you didn't. You didn't beat yourselves because on that scoreboard, it doesn't say Notre Dame beats Notre Dame. It says Cincinnati beat Notre Dame. So take that attitude and shove it. <laughs> well, right, here's, I have, let's get I to do make, have news let, for you, Hummer. Please, please. Um, like, you realize, Hummer, that now it, it does benefit the Bearcats for Notre Dame to, to oh, win I'm the their biggest, game. I'm the biggest Notre Dame fan you've ever seen, man. I'm All a right. Notre All Dame right. fan. They're a, they're a one-point favorite at Virginia Tech this week. I, I, I want to see them win. Um, I don't want to see them win too big, though, because, you know, I don't put anything past the playoff committee to put a one-loss Notre Dame team in the playoff over. Ahead of the Bearcats. <laughs> yeah. I think well, Notre Dame's going to be fine against a team like Virginia Tech. I think what people will quick, quickly realize and remember is that they're not playing against the Black Cats every week. You're not playing against the Cincinnati defense week in, week out, and that it's actually a very special unit we have. I know Georgia right now is putting up statistics that are frankly like unrivaled in terms of defensive like production and, and yeah. shutting down opponents. I'm not going to – they are. They're, they're operating at a ridiculous level right now, but the Bearcats are one of the best defenses in the country, a top-five defense, and, and Notre Dame is probably going to bounce back offensively pretty quickly here. I know they're not dynamite offensively. They're not going to be slinging it all over the field, but I think people are going to re be reminded that, oh yeah, Cincinnati's defense is legit. And what they did to Notre Dame is not because of Notre Dame. It was because of Cincinnati. So here, here's the con real conspiracy theory for, for you guys eating this up out there. All right. Brian Kelly is just like, so still fuming. He's in his office. And he's like, how do I screw those, those pesky bear cats? Oh, they ruined me. How do I ruin them back? I have an idea. I'm going to keep not deciding which quarterback to play every week. And I'm going to keep making really bad decisions as a coach so that way we lose games. So that way it's, it's, Oh, well, Notre Dame wasn't that good that year. Uh, and, and that way they, they single-handedly are the reason why we don't get into the playoff because they, they are so bad. Uh, tinfoil hat is, Hummer is out of control. That is tinfoil hat. That is conspiracy theory right there. Uh, <laughs> fuck Brian Kelly. <laughs> all right well let's let's wind it down here and, and kind of Sorry, wrap man, up I'm our picks a, for the week we're all sam, sam are there any are there any lines that we need to um to touch on before we make our our before we allocate our units for the week do we well, also maybe we can get an update as, as to where we stand as well i feel like i'm swimming in units i should have been parlaying <laughs> the entire season results if that was possible <laughs> Swimming in units. No, no, no. Keeping it simple. Hummer's the big man and out in front. At, he's plus 4.6. Coomer right behind now at plus 3.6. Come back. And your boy is sitting in third at 
plus one. What happened to you? What happened to you last week? What did you pick? I missed on the UC over. I needed those field goals. I needed like 28 points. I needed like 28 points. Uh, I told you, Sam. I told you that was a low-scoring game. It was written all over it. Um, I tried to you tell nailed you. It. You, can't you, say nailed it. you can't say I didn't try to tell you. So let's go ahead and allocate our units for the week. Uh, Sam, okay, but, guess- here, but I have, yeah, we, there's, you know, for a conference game like this, we need a, a little bit, a little bit more to, to work with here. So we, we, yes, we have the Bearcats at minus 29 for the game over under 54 also available. If you guys want to like jot these down so you can see them and to make your selection here for the first half, we can get the Bearcats minus 17 with an over under of 29. We also have in the first quarter, we have Bearcats minus seven and a half over under 12 and a half. Finally, team totals for the game Bearcats over under 41 and a half, Temple over under 12 and a half. So, a little bit of a menu setting there for you i want to put down a couple units can i lead off since i've got it in my head already i feel like i've got i'm locked into what i like here i've got two different bets oh he's ready to rock i've got a first half parlay that i want to put together here that's a little bit contrarian i'm going to go with the cincinnati cover in the first half what'd you say that line was 17 17 I'm, i'm i'm taking cincinnati to cover in the first half and i'm parlaying that with the under on the Bearcats offensive total. I'm looking oh, at it. You're disgusting. That is gross. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to let you. I don't know. If Can I do that? Like, like, cause I, I don't know. I'm picturing, I don't like know a 20, I'm picturing a 28 point first half, but and maybe fine. Temple we'll having see. like seven points in the first half. I'm look. I'm looking in, at in our, with our imagine, with the Bearcats under universe. Yes, you can. Well, let, I'll allow it. You allow it in our, but, in our, in our imaginary universe. And then I'm taking, Vegas, I don't know if Vegas would allow it. I'm also taking the team over uh, for points. I do think that the Bearcats will get over that 41, 41 and a half point mark that you mentioned. I'm just going to, I'm going to spend units this week. I'm definitely taking UC seven and a half in the first quarter. Like that's, that's a no brainer. We're going to be up two touchdowns after the first quarter. Uh, We're going to be up three touchdowns after the second quarter. So I'm taking the UC in the second quarter and I'm going to take the actual 29. Give me the fucking 29, baby. We're (laughs) crushing this team. They are done. Give me all the covers, all quarters. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Where are you at, Sam? All right. I'm all over, all over the first quarter over 12 and a half. Lock me in. First quarter over 12 and a half. Also, really do like the UC, the Bearcats minus 17 in the first half that you were rolling with, Coom. I like but, that. But I mean, I think. You, they're gonna, they're gonna feed off that sold out nip at night crowd. They're gonna come out firing, quick early scores. Not gonna be a problem. I don't want to break the rules either. So what you'll do is just don't make mine a parlay in the first half. Just three Please. individual bets. I just want three individual bets. Three units have been placed. Do I have three units to place? We'll make it work. Okay. All right. Well, I'm gonna, take that, I'm gonna take that. Units last on unit. credit. I'm using the I'm using the fourth unit to take the uh the twelve and a half uh, on the first quarter as well. We got four units out there today, boys. I love it. We're feeling Look, this game. Nip at night. You got to get frisky. This is the, you know, you only 
you only win the first game of your undefeated conference schedule once, right? That's right. Well, I mean, we enjoy, are going, let's enjoy like, it every step of the way. We are going undefeated. So that's like the thing here. Like, it doesn't matter. We're going undefeated. Uh, we're out there on another podcast flat out saying okay. that. And I'm just not, I'm not going to back down from it. We're going undefeated. What was the saying okay. that B Fox, we don't, uh, we, we don't mind in the last Bama. podcast? We don't mind Bama. We don't mind. <laughs> we, don't mind. <laughs> we don't mind them. Okay. Well, if we go, if Bearcats go undefeated and do get the invite to the corrupt football playoff. Um, yeah, there are odds available for that right now. Um, they aren't they though they haven't been up consistently all year, but like preseason or like early season, the last time that I was able to find them, it was at like uh, plus twelve hundred to sixteen hundred on UC making the playoff. Right now, you can you're looking at yes to make the playoff plus two oh five two ten. Oh, oh, like, uh, but then. Also, the the no, so like the UC not to make the playoff is at minus two eighty. Okay, what you're so, telling me is there's a shot. <laughs> well, you're you're telling me there's a chance. My early se- my preseason units are looking absolutely incredible right now. By the way, yeah, absolutely game changing, like season long winning. It doesn't matter what we do during the regular <laughs> season. If my preseasons hit, uh. It's home, it's home, it's it's a uh, smooth sailing, boys. What were your? I that, forget what your preseasons were. Make yeah, Des Ritter at like plus five thousand. Oh, okay, yeah. And the national title at like plus fifteen thousand, which right now is only you can only get like two thousand to four thousand or so. I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I've said this. I've said this for years. If the Bearcats win a win win a win a ship, win a natty, a national championship, I'm getting the Bearcat uh, some sort of tattoo. Um, to match Coomer's sort of tattoo. And I haven't really figured out the full design yet, but if it's a sea paw, I'm going to leave like the, the claws empty and put the year of the championship. And, you know, that way you leave room for more. But yeah, we're getting some tat. We're getting tatted up. That's that's. Whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry. I was looking at a text message. What kind of tattoo did I just get signed up for? No, 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 no. I'm saying like, <laughs> I'm, I've been saying this for years that the Bearcats win a national championship. I'm going to get a tattoo. Like oh, the gotcha. I want to gotcha. get the Bearcat Paul, but I was like, I'm trying to figure out a way to incorporate the year of the national championship. And that way, when we get, there's going to be more, more national championships. We have room for it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, boys, let's leave it there. Sam, thank you as always for coming on the podcast with your, your brilliant gambling research, the gambling guru, wow. Sam. Brilliant is, a, brilliant is a strong word. Never don't listen to us, by the way. Never listen to us. This is not financial advice. <laughs> we are not financial advisors, past performances. Yeah, listen in to this us, case for the Bearcats. For the Bearcats, past performance does guarantee future results. We will win against Temple. So this is all just breathing with noise. It it means nothing. Breathing with noise. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll uh, we'll talk after Temple. We'll see how things play out this week and uh, check in on our units next Tuesday. I, I imagine. Uh, Sam Hummer, Hummer. I, I hope you can sort things out with B Stein. Uh, hey, Brett, Brett Steins. I mean, I, I, I love you, man. Adding, you're adding an you. S to his name. It's fantastic. <laughs> All right, boys. We'll talk soon. Go Bearcats. It's it's Go my Bearcats. Plural, the pluralness of my love for him. <laughs>